And I think it's really important to just, this whole idea of um, projecting and predicting, we're not controlling that. It has a life force of its own and it's, it's on automatic pilot. We can become aware of this uh, actually taking place. Um, but prior to this awareness, we assume that this is just part of who we are. Uh, whereas I think this discussion is realising that it's going off in, in everybody. Everybody's in, in this. It'd be very rare that somebody wouldn't um, have gone through this experience in their life where this constant projection forward is, um, is, is taking place. Realising that it's not ourselves and realising that while this uh, mechanism might have been functional 50, 60, 70,000 years ago, that in our current context, it's, it's really not that valuable or useful to us at all. No, and um, so if we then again right again go to our present experience and we say to ourselves that our future that we um, that we could see uh, happening in in five minutes or an hour or tomorrow or next week or next year or ten years time where is that now well it can only be one in one place and, and that is in our imagination so we are imagining something that is not present now and what we are assuming is that imagination is somehow a very good predictor of what might take place in the future. Because if it was a shocking predictor, why would we be paying any attention to it? And that's a, a useful point to investigate this predictive power that we seem to spend a great deal of time doing. And that predictive power, is, as, as you just said, Steve, is actually something that is um, completely encased and enmeshed with all our experiences, particularly the more emotionally salient ones, uh, from our past. So we can um, often see in our, in our own experience a prediction that may uh, be made that contains a great deal of past emotional trauma. And that in itself colors the prediction. So if, if we went to, um, let's say we went to a financial advisor and uh, we said, look, we really want your best uh, analysis of what's going to happen in the market. And the financial advisor said, well, look, I want to put on the table that uh, I think a great deal of what's going to happen in the market is based on my own personal experience of loss in the past. Uh, I've had some really awful experiences losing money and um, I always bring those right into uh, my analysis of what might happen in the future. 
Well, we would think, well, I don't know why your personal experiences of loss and trauma that you know, have just reduced you to tears recalling um, is going to be useful to me. And uh, I'm kind of a bit worried now that, that if you're going to be looking through that lens, that your capacity to determine what might be about to happen, which doesn't seem to have a lot to do with you, is going to be very accurate. Yet that is precisely uh, how our um, predictive mechanism works. And, and I, I like the term mechanism rather than some sort of sophisticated algorithm because this is a mechanism that uh, over time has, uh, like, a, like an old mechanical clock, it's got, uh, it's got lots of knocks and bruises uh, in it and it's those knocks and bruises that um, affect its smooth running. really 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 well put and uh, one of the things that you just said there about um, it really distorting the lens uh, really just you know so whatever lens that we we look through is going to distort our perception but again we are going into a future that's imagined and it really comes back to what is wrong with right now Yes, and uh, as I think I might have said, uh, as Sailor Bob Adamson said, what's wrong with right now unless we think about it? Um, so the minute we engage thinking, we move out of the present and we start to move into um, the, the future or occasionally we will, we will go back into the past. Uh, when we are recalling the past, we should consider whether that too is an act of imagination whether we feel we're actually going back to a, a, a very, very solid uh, record of what took place, uh, or whether we're in fact going back to something that um, again is being seen through a lens, and our lens is, is, is refracting light according to what was emotionally significant to us in the event. Uh, we're seeing things very much from our own perspective. So, so the point of this is to say that is it fair to suggest that the data that we get from this rumination and projection or to, to put it simply this imagination that we are engaged in, in thought, is this data worthy of us considering it to be hard truth uh, or, or is it highly unworthy? And if we were to place it in another context, if we were going again for advice somewhere and whoever we were, were getting advice from was persistently wrong. And the reason they were persistently wrong is that instead of giving us advice, they just kept bringing their own distorted lens to the, to the, to the picture. We probably had that with friends occasionally where they will look at a situation and, and you'll be asking them for their input and you'll suddenly see that uh, they're really bringing and importing a whole pile of 
previous experiences in their life, which is, is very hard not to do, uh, into, the, into the analysis of, of your particular situation. So is there another way of training ourselves uh, to be aware that this is a very natural process but with too much noise and not enough signal? Who is the I that is thinking up these thoughts? Upon reflection, uh, what this does is it interrupts that pattern or that mechanism that is firing without, without your will. You're not actually doing it. What it's doing is it's actually pulling you out of that mechanism that's almost, almost running the show um, quite spontaneously. You don't, you're not sure when this is going to arise. And it actually brings you back to what is the awareness or this I that can actually see and feel these thoughts actually taking place, whether they've drifted back into the past or whether they're going into the future. There is a part of this eye or this awareness that is actually the silent witness to all this that is going on. Go deeper into that eye, into that awareness of, uh, of, of, what's, actually, uh, of, of what's actually going on. Become almost um, fascinated with what that is not almost from a scientific perspective, but almost feeling into what that is. And that when we feel into what that is and we get an experience of that, there is a place of, uh, of peace um, and, and contentment and pure joy with, with simply what is right here and now. And that when we move into this, um, we're not doing any cognitive reframing in a way. What we're doing is, is we're stopping the physiology from uh, the, you know, the anxiety, um, you know, all, all the negative uh, emotions that are triggered from, from looking forward to a threat situation and almost being replaced with a sense of ease and a sense of peace that, that comes through the body. And the more that we can go into this port of entry, um, of, of looking at what that is, that point of awareness. And the more that we can habitually uh, move into that, whenever we catch ourselves moving into the present, into the past, the quickly we can change our states and our physiology. And essentially, this is, uh, this is, what, everybody, this is what everybody is looking for, but they don't do it through this point of entry. In fact, what they'll do is they'll look for um, distractions, or forms of escape, which helps them to um, change their state. And what they're really trying to get away from is thinking about either the past or the future. I think that is such a, 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 a succinct and, and useful way of expressing what most of us do quite ineffectively to, uh, to stop what 
becomes a kind of um, production line of anxiety and, and physiological, low-level physiological distress. And this idea, I think, uh, Steve, you have this great line of um, uh, an anxious mind cannot exist in a relaxed mm. body. Um, I think this is, it's, it's very important for us to, to not necessarily be in our heads um, uh, and to understand that uh, when we talk about non-dual experience, uh, it's not simply the sense of us being not separate from the world, but there's also not a distinction between what we might consider psychological and physical. The two are actually um, uh, in concert with each other. I mean, there, there, there's, a, there's a seamless relationship. So you can feel agitation and, uh, and anxiety in the body first, and then you can identify that you're feeling that way, tell yourself uh, a story about why you're feeling that way, and then stimulate that response further. And it becomes uh, you know, a progressive escalation. Or feeling that through thought or that you can somehow change that state and it really works. It just seems to agitate uh, even further. Exactly. And, and, and similarly, you can, and most of us can do this even now, we'll probably avoid this exercise if you, you can accept that it can be done. But most of us can engage quite quickly in a, in a, in a story narrative of something with high emotional uh, negative salience. So we might recall an incident which was um, upsetting to us or something that we were fearful of. And we can quickly see the changes that that induces in our body. Um, and sometimes we actually uh, are seduced by this. It becomes a habituated pattern so that because um, this is, is such, a, such a compelling state that we find ourselves, uh, even though it's unpleasant, returning to it or being triggered uh, over and over again. And it's one of these, again, these, these mechanisms that, that I think um, in some ways where, like the old story of the sorcerer's apprentice, that um, grabs hold of uh, enormously powerful forces with no understanding of of what's going on and, and ends up, you know, being ruined by them. Um, if we are continually re-engaging something, uh, you know, negative pattern of, uh, of behaviour or thought, um, we are strengthening it. Uh, and, uh, and as we move away from that, um, we will find that, uh, that there, there is, a, a, as we've spoken about before, a, a certain um, sense that we're going cold turkey, like we're breaking a hab habitual addiction to a, a pattern of behaviour. But the key to do this is, uh, is actually, an oddly, paradoxically, not to uh, consider how you're feeling or the, the thought state or the story state as being the enemy, that must be vanquished and, 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 and removed as quickly as possible. Because when we do that, um, we bring a resistance to the, to the, to the table, we, we bring a, a fixation that in fact stimulates the very thing we want to, to get to, to be rid of. 
the, the way that we um, can actually transcend this rather than get rid of it is to recognize that it's not us, that this arises in what we are. And as, as you were saying before, Steve, that this, this idea of um, seeing ourselves as a background of awareness in which everything arises. And, and I would add, not privileging um, thought or sensation over other arisings such as sound, such as uh, things that we might consider outside of ourselves. Mm. And I think there's a, there's, there's a, a way um, of experiencing this very practically if we allow ourselves just to settle, whether we're lying down or, or, or sitting down, to gently uh, sink into our breath without trying to breathe deeply or control it, to just simply be aware of the sensation of breath moving through the nostrils, to be aware of how our body feels, where it meets the seat or the bed, where it meets the floor, to be aware of our clothes on our skin, to be aware of even the position of our tongue in our mouth. And then if we feel thoughts arise, to simply not follow them, not resist them, but not follow them. Follow them meaning not to think other thoughts about them, not to start creating a story about them. Just to see that if we do that with a thought, it appears in awareness for a matter of seconds and then, and then naturally subsides all by itself. And what we'll also notice as, as we relax more into breath, the frequency of thoughts also relax. This is this notion of the relaxed body and the, and the, uh, and the mind itself uh, losing its anxiety. And as we, as we relax and thoughts slow, become aware of sounds perhaps the sounds of the street, the car, birds, whatever's around you, the sound of the, the, the refrigerator, the sound of the plane in the sky, the sound of the car, and, and see that simply as an arising just like the thought, just like the feeling of the clothes on the skin. Not privilege it as not you, and the thought was you. that at this level of resolution we are space in which all these different arisings occur. There's just a dog barking now. So that's, that's simply a, an arising. If a thought appears across your mind that similarly is an arising. It's not something you've done. You haven't thought, I'll think that thought now and then I'll think this thought, just like you didn't make the sound of the barking dog. If you see all of these things simply as arising within this space, 
rather than there being a set that you're doing and a set that you're not doing, or an inside that you are and an outside that you're not. This is an immensely transformative place and it's also what you are at source. Everything else that you've taken yourself to be is the dog barking or the plane across the sky. Or uh, another analogy that, that, that I quite like is you're standing watching a, watching a, a sea, uh, a vast sea, and it, it undulates. waves crash near your feet and, and as the waves crash you see all these bright bubbles of white and sunlight and you become hypnotised by that. And then magically the sea, as the tide comes out for another wave, all of those bubbles are gone. and then another wave comes in and another set. None of those little bubbles last, none of them are you. You are just what is seeing the vast ocean that you are. 